brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Welcome to All the Glitters. A podcast about inspiring relationships and stellar humans. Welcome, welcome to the All the Glitters podcast. Today's episode is a good old-fashioned roundup. That's right. Best of style. We've done a ton of interview episodes lately, and sometimes it feels like we don't get to visit with people as long as we'd like. So we're going to do that right here, right now. I like it. Simple as that. We've put together some of our favorite takeaways of the last few special guest episodes. And, you know, we've been really consistent in trying to get these episodes out once a week. So for those of you that have not had a chance to get caught up and up to speed on our recent episodes, consider this a nice little tasting for you. Here we go. If we had invested in a senior level employee sooner, they could have helped us to grow and scale faster. So that's a recommendation I give to entrepreneurs now all of the time. You know, you want to be able to almost scale yourself out of the business. So you're doing more higher level, you know, planning for the business and vision and not as engrossed in like the day to day and the nitty gritty. Of course, when you start, you need to know everything that's going on and you, you need to be involved, but bring people on that know more than you, that are smarter than you, that have had more experiences that then you've had as soon as you can, because that will help propel your growth faster in our experience. Yeah. I love the idea of really valuing the specialty that people can bring and why they're so worth the investment and how important it is to really delegate. Even if you can do everything, it doesn't mean that you should. Um, one of the things I love about following Social Fly and Entrepreneurista podcast on Instagram is that you offer so much free advice. And one of the things I wanted to ask you for people that don't have the resources or the finances to hire a marketing agency right off the bat, what are some of your go-to kind of basic understandable tips in really marketing and growing your social? If you're just a human marketing yourself or you're, you have a startup business. Yes. Okay. So my first tip is to invest in yourself personally and your personal brand, even if you're the one that's creating the content for yourself to start. Because people like to do business with people that they love and people that they trust and people that they feel connected to. So even if you don't have the budget yet to build out this robust social media following for your brand, and you already have your own you know, Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn, you already have connections and followers there. Start so 
socializing your business, talking about what you're doing, because you never know where leads for new business opportunities can come from. And it's likely going to come from your initial circle of, of friends and followers that you already have. So when I say building your personal brand, there's a lot of ways to do this, you know, very inexpensively when we talk about things outside of your time, because your time is obviously very valuable. So you will have to put some of your time in if you don't have the resources to um, hire someone else to help you. But there are tools to make very beautiful content. A good friend of ours and an entrepreneurista, Nikki Aaronsman, she has a package that you can buy. I believe it's like either $27 or $29, the brand identity breakthrough to create all of your social media assets and your logos. Um, there's other tools and resources through Canva. There's a lot of ways now to launch everything. Definitely on a budget. You just have to invest some of your time. Totally. Now, you guys have a huge presence on social media, and it's obviously a big part of what you do to help brands. But is that one of the big strategies that you use to build your client base? So on the entrepreneurista side, um, absolutely. So when we launched entrepreneurista, you know, we started growing our, our social accounts. Everything was just content. We were giving free content to give back and, and help as many women as possible. And now that we've launched our membership community, you know, we have all of these incredible followers and entrepreneurs who are following our accounts and they've become invested in our, in our brand and our offering over the, the past few years and want a deeper involvement in our community. So with the launch of the Entrepreneurista League, you know, all of our first members have been from past guests of the podcast, plus all of our incredible connections and, and followers on social media. So absolutely. And then on the social fly side, you know, the same thing there, we have always invested in sharing valuable content, especially to marketers who are looking for tips and tricks to grow on social. So what's happened over time, you know, as these marketers have, you know, started to work at other companies, they remember social fly. And when they have a need for an agency, they then reach out to us. So absolutely. I can't speak for everyone, but I feel so overwhelmed by how many different platforms there are now between Instagram and TikTok. And I noticed that you guys have a strong presence on Clubhouse and neither Conrad or I have actually created accounts or gotten on it yet. And so I was curious if you could kind of give us and our audience a little bit of a Clubhouse 101 and how that platform is different from Instagram and TikTok and YouTube and all those. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I just want to first start by saying that I can completely relate. And even as someone who's working in social media, this is my life and everything that we do. It is so overwhelming. It feels like, you know, every time you turn around, there's a new social media platform popping up and like, do you jump on it? Do you use it? What do you do? Should we be the first mover or should we wait and see what everyone else does? But if you don't jump on first, then how are you going to get those millions of followers right away and be the leader? It's it's really hard. So I just want to say I completely relate and empathize to everyone who is hearing this right now. I started realizing that I didn't really identify with myself other than being a gymnast. And that like freaked me out. I had this whole identity crisis of me trying to figure out where's the fun, where's the passion in life if I don't have gymnastics, especially because I'm about to retire after this year. And so I went through this whole process of just trying to figure out how to make the most of you know a simple life. And so having those types of moments where I can step back mentally and think about my thoughts and be like, all right, where is this coming from? Is it positive? Is it negative? 
Why is it negative? Is it something I can change? And then from there, I can learn and assess and do whatever comes best after that. Because even on the second day where I did compete really well, I made a mistake on horse, but I was like, all right, you know, the world isn't blowing up right now. Like we still are just in a competition. There's so much to do and so much where you can still be proud of. And it took a long while for me to finally, you know, get past that because for a long time in my career, pretty much my entire career, I used to always dwell on my mistakes and just, I'd get so beat up whenever I felt like I disappointed the world. It wasn't just me. It was like, Oh, all my fans. And I've had all this weight that was just on my shoulders. That wasn't necessarily supposed to be on my shoulders. And once I kind of started realizing that I was like, I think this whole new mindset is going to help me going forward because I had a lot of moments of choking in my I past. And I'm like, I think I was just choking because I kept putting so much pressure on gymnastics as my identity. If I don't succeed as a gymnast, I'm not a successful person. And so then I was like, no, no, you can be a successful person without having to do gymnastics. And once I was able to split that, I felt a lot of the weight fall off my shoulders and I was able to breathe and actually think clearly while I'm out on that competition floor, even though the first day I definitely got overwhelmed, but luckily my sports psychologist was there in between the days and we had some chats and I was like, you know, I just, I need to just start letting go of the outcome and I just need to start enjoying the sport. Yeah. And that mindset works like a muscle in training it and watching yourself do it so that you can correct those negative thoughts and not hold on to this identity that feels very labeling and small. I'm sure so many professional and extreme athletes can relate to that because so many accolades and achievements are coming through this one sport. So to identify yourself outside can be even more challenging. I was really curious how often you visualize like before you're going up for your routine, you know, like what is going through your mind? Like, do you envision your routine or do you like, like, what are you saying to yourself or visualizing? So uh, there's a lot of visualization, but we actually, I personally do movements with my visualization so I can feel certain muscle activations that will help, you know, that muscle memory for whatever skill I'm doing. But we always look so goofy before I've got like my arms over me, like looks like I'm dancing with my eyes closed. And so, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. And, and something I kind of recently started touching on was I realized how much I let other people affect my process where I was always told you have to be so serious. You have to be a professional if you want to be taken seriously. And, you know, I'm a goofy guy. I don't really do that all that much. And so when I'm pretending to be someone I'm not out on the competition floor, I'm not feeling authentic to myself because you want to train how you compete. I always train goofy. Why would I not compete goofy as well? And I think that was a big barrier that I broke uh, in between my day one, day two competitions at this past nationals was I was out there cracking jokes with everyone, interacting with the crowd and just vibing with everyone and keeping the positive positivity going and something like that is such a simple switch but it can make all the difference in the end and especially in a sport that is so instinctual you don't have time to be thinking and operating in a manner that you feel you should be operating it just has to be a reaction and i think going into it being yourself prior it almost jogs this instinctual memory going into the competition because now you're not 
auditing yourself as you go. You're just reacting. Yeah. And it's something actually I started talking with one of my old teammates about, uh, he was reading this book and he's like, there's this thing called flow state and it's a state of mind that you're in when, you know, all these positive good things will happen. And it's like momentum keeps carrying. And how do you get yourself to that mindset? And I was like, man, I did not feel that flow state day one. Day two, I was living in that flow state. And that was when I realized like everyone has a different flow state, 100%. You have to find what's true to you. But if you're also not testing out a bunch of different theories or you're not constantly trying to maintain the flow state that always works for you, you're not going to have the results that you want. I think the most dramatic save I've ever had is I had this woman who was in her 60s and she was in a high speed rollover. The car rolled like four times. She threw out the window. The car ended up on top of her. So when you've got a 3000 pound car on top of your chest, you can't breathe. So you get what's called a traumatic asphyxia. You've basically been strangled. So she came in and all her eyes, both eyes were just blood red from hemorrhaging. So she was unresponsive. We intubated her, took her to the ICU, did all the things you do to save a swollen brain. And after about a month, she was just in a fetal position, no response, hadn't improved at all. So I met with her family and the family said, mom would never want to live this way. We need to pull the plug. So I excavated her, sent her to the floor and they said, how long will she last? And I said, she'll die tonight. So I went in the next day and she's still there. And the family said, how long is she going to last? And I said, a day or two. The lady woke up and walked out of the hospital. <laughs> Made a complete recovery. So about three months later, I'm walking downtown San Jose. There's this big old Catholic church next to the Fairmont. It's a Sunday morning. I hear this Dr. Gutman and I look up and she's waving at me standing at the top of the stairs. Oh my. So that's miraculous. It was miraculous. I didn't favor God to. Well, actually that was kind of my next question because I know that a lot of hospitals typically are open to all kinds of religion, you know, based on who's coming in. And a lot of them actually provide some type of religious support, whether it's a priest or a rabbi. And I know you have witnessed some pretty incredible heartfelt moments with respect to spirituality. So what moment do you think just really made you feel like there was a sense of an otherworldly greater thing at present there? So I was at St. Anthony's, which is a Catholic hospital in Denver. And this 18-year-old doused himself inside of his car with gasoline and lit it on fire. Like suicide? Oh, yeah. So when the paramedics got there, the car was still on fire. The firemen were just putting it out. So they brought him in and he had 100% body burn. I mean, that's fatal. You can't save them. So I met with his mom, his dad, and his sister. And I told him, I've got two choices for you here. One, I can make him really comfortable and withdraw care and he'll die within the next hour or two. Or two, I can do everything possible, and he'll suffer for the next three days. So the family met and said, just make him comfortable. So he's in an ICU on a ventilator, and he's just shaking in pain. So this priest comes in who's 50, white-haired. He went into this prayer for this kid at the end of the bed. And as he spoke, this kid calmed down. His heart rate dropped. Two ICU nurses were crying, and he lay comfortably for the next hour until he died. That priest did way more for that kid than I could have done. So that's where it just takes it away from the science and medicine of it all. And it brings it back to this spiritual connection and something that you just can't explain. I mean, it just makes no sense. The world's 5 trillion years old and we only get 80 years. There's got to be more. Let's face it. Otherwise, we'd have lived for a million years each. Right. Actually, I want to talk about that a little more. So I feel like because you have seen so much with respect to the human spirit and like the capabilities of the human body itself, what has being a doctor taught you about life 
and purpose with respect to whether it's religion or whether it's living your life to the fullest? Is there something that you wish more people knew having been a doctor all these years? So I think the most important thing is none of us know when our last day is going to come. Therefore, we need to live every single day as though it's our last. Because you could be driving down the street and get hit by a drunk driver and die. You could have a stroke. You could have a heart attack. Nobody knows when your last breath is going to take. Enjoy those people around you, your family, your friends. Express joy and love whenever you possibly can. I also feel like because you're in a profession that relies so much on upkeep and health, and like obviously there are things like emergencies or fluke accidents, but what do you find is interesting about the balance of lifestyle with respect to health? You know, like how much of it do you think comes down to the way you live your life versus the occasional random thing that's like a brain aneurysm or something that you just never knew you had? There's two factors. One is genetics and one is environment. Genetics, you can't pick your parents. It's one of the biggest problems in life. You get the genes you're going to get. You're going to get genes for cancer, high blood pressure, obesities. You can't control those genes. You're just going to get them. And then there's environment, the choices we make, how much we exercise, how much we drink, what foods we eat. And those are things we can control. So you've got the things you can't control, and then you've got the things you can control. So you can't dwell on your genetics. Therefore, you have to dwell on the things you can control. In your experience, have you found that there are some very basic, simple to apply everyday health tips that you would encourage any patient? Like three things that you could pretty much rely on for a very healthy life. Yeah. Exercise is so important. I go to the gym almost every day. If I don't go, I feel really crappy. So I've got all those endorphins and keflins being released whenever I go and exercise. Nutrition's next. You need to limit fats. You need to limit meats. You need to maximize vegetables. And then I think spirituality and loving the people around you is the next most important thing you can possibly do. Surround yourself by the best people possible and you'll become a better person. I like that. And that's easy. Those are three go-to steps. Now, because so much is virtual and even with the pandemic and everything, a lot of Doctors and hospitals are kind of trying to become available by diagnosing over picture or over email. Do you ever do that kind of stuff? Or do you have patients that have your email that they can like ask you questions? Yeah. So I never do any type of anything over the internet with a patient. I need to see a patient. I need to sit down in front of them. I need to look them in the eye. I need to feel their tummy. I need to listen to their chest. I need to make a diagnosis with them. I need to tell them about what needs to be done, risks, benefits. I just couldn't do that over the internet. I needed a patient sitting in front of me. Right. I love this this question because I can remember a handful of times where I sent you a picture, like one where I had an abscess in my eye and you were like, yeah, you should go to the hospital. And then just as recent as a couple of weeks ago when I got a dog bite and I was like, is this infected? And you're like, yes, that's infected. <laughs> so I, I would assume that there are just like a few things that certain doctors, like maybe it's dermatology or something that's a little more not as internal that you can at least diagnose or say like, yeah, you should probably go to the hospital or stuff like that. No one knew that I was really part of the brand or that I owned the brand or that I had made this thing. It was more of just like the, the hat was so forward facing. And so once that happened, it was like, we have to say something <laughs> like we just have to tell people that we're here and, and tell them like, 
you know, if I didn't have a different experience at a country music festival where I am a minority and stick out in a different way and have had kind of like good and bad experiences in those realms, then these hats wouldn't actually exist because there would be no need for a change or for a different outlook or perspective on Western culture in general. And then it was interesting because people were really like so polarized during that time and politically polarized during that time. And so we got some backlash on that. We had people speaking out like businesses should keep their mouth, like noses out of things and they should just be a business. And, and it was kind of like, suffocating because it felt like they were trying to also still take away my voice that I had already created, even though that wasn't my intention of creating the brand. It was just that I wanted to make line of hats. And then it became a thing of like, well, now we're definitely saying something because if they're going to tell me that I shouldn't be speaking about it, then we're already talking about the problem in the first place. It was just kind of crazy. But I think, I think it's important for businesses to I don't even want to say take a stand. I think it's just like even have like open dialogue or discussion about it because it doesn't have to be a fight it can just be something where it's like, you know, you might not have understand where I'm coming from. I might not understand where you're coming from, but if we can talk about that, we're coming from different places then maybe there's empathy involved, or maybe we can just learn from each other or something. I think that's the sort of the nuance though. It's like, you're not, you're not necessarily taking a hard stand and polarizing a whole demographic of people or uh, a whole subsection of people that have a certain opinion, but rather just you're running the business in a way that is um, socially thoughtful. And, and that's what I mean. Like you don't have to, as a business, come out and take a stand on certain things one way or another, but it is important to um, uh, just, just be a, being a thoughtful organization. Yeah. And I think too, it's such, it's so much of my art, right? Like where it's not even necessarily like I look at it as like, is this a good business decision? Like at the end of the day, I'm a maker who made light up cowboy hats and I, well, I'm an artist. So I don't really necessarily even look at it as like, you know, how can we as a business show up? I look at it as like, what are the hats supposed to mean and why do they exist? And, you know, I think entrepreneurs talk about the why a lot because of Simon Sinek and all these different people. And, and during the pandemic, it was like, we really had to revisit that because not having product and not, not being something that people were just going to come and purchase from us. It was like, well, why do they want to shop here? Like, what are we actually offering? It's so necessary to know that in order to like survive during a bad economy. (laughs) Yeah, we just were really like heartfully impacted by it and had to say something. And I think with the LGBTQ community too, like we obviously are huge allies and, you know, we're, we're very much in the space in a lot of different ways. And, and at the end of the day, like they're light up cowboy hats. Like, I don't know why people feel like so attacked by it, but we definitely get people where they're like, oh, well, it's cultural appropriation and all these other things, but it's because they don't understand that the cowboy originated in Mexico and there were black cowboys and there were, and the Lone Ranger was originally a black man who was a sheriff. And so all this history is still getting taken away from us. And because I'm in this space and I'm just like, Hey, we still exist and we don't exist. And we are, you know, we're different than what you thought or sitting in that space already creates a conversation. You guys have done a great job, honestly, like the purpose behind it and it's the branding, everything just feels so real and lack of a better word, authentic. But I also feel like the product itself is just so special and fun. And it's so identifiable as like, 
that's a neon cowboy's hat, you know, that's a neon cowboy's mask. And I just, I love brands that can really stand out by the product alone because it's special. But one of the other things I feel like you've really pioneered is the press side of things in these incredible collaborations. I have a huge girl crush on Casey Musgraves, obviously. We're going to revisit this for a minute, but you've had like Meg the Stallion, Nicki Minaj, like Missy Elliott. I mean, people have been rocking your pieces and it must just feel so incredible. But I, I want to know, and I think a lot of people want to know is how do you get those connections and how do you, you know, get your foot in the door? Cause it is really hard to do that aside from just a great product too. That's fun. It, it is. It is very interesting. We get celebrity pull requests every day and at this point every day. And it's very overwhelming because as you know, the cycle of, celebrities is like, Hey, we need something to do in like two days. We have a shoot. They just confirmed da, 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 and like their lives are so fast paced. Unfortunately with us, it's like, you know, we do everything out of lights. So like our, our R and D and our production time and our customization time takes at least a month to really completely like solidify something or have it made overseas and then shipped back. There are going to be so many challenges that come up and the amount of people who have said to me, does the world need another candle brand? I don't think so. We've got hundreds, if not thousands of candle brands, and there's no way that you can add anything different to the market. Even just this upcoming weekend, we're going to see a friend who I remember, he said, uh, and sort of we were pre-launch, how many more months are you going to give this before you get a real job? So many people are going to tell you, no, you just have to make sure it's something where you fully, fully believe in it. And you know this is going to change the world. So I think that would be one thing and keep you know pushing yourself if you haven't found it yet. Another thing is surrounding yourself with people who are high energy, who are creative, who are, you know, make shit happen kind of people um, that can really push you forward and empower you through all of those challenges. And so for us, that meant, you know, especially while, I was sort of a young new founder, didn't have, you know, direct really founding experience before we sort of found our founder peers who uh, ended up making some small angel investments into other lands. So really some, our first investors were other founders. So that is a big help too. And then I think, you know, being scrappy is really one of these beautiful qualities for an entrepreneur. And at the very beginning, when I was thinking about this idea, learning about the market, I learned how to make candles and my, so Sayed, who's now my boyfriend, who's now my business partner, um, we were living this 250 square foot, six floor walk up in the West Village, you know, tiny, tiny kitchen. And so I would learn to make candles and really turn the kitchen into a laboratory. But you learn so much from each of these processes. So be as scrappy as you can. It doesn't need to be, you know, a big fancy production the first time. You can learn from it and iterate. You're just going to get more feedback and keep improving, improving, improving. Totally. And this idea that the scrappiness that you talk about, I think it speaks to a concept Haley and I hold very near and dear. And that is just that resourcefulness is so much more valuable than resources. And then when you have them both, you can do really wonderful things. Yes. I love that. You also have such strong, mystical, fantastical branding. And so I want to go a little bit deeper into your brand identity. And just from like the labeling and the verbiage and the content you're creating, do you 
rely on specializations from people and hiring like graphic designers and bringing people in or so much of it just coming from, you know, you directly and your personality? Yes. So when we started Otherland, and it really evolved from what I felt was uh, a need in the market. So the, the root I am is really, it truly is the precursor to everything. So pay attention to what you say after that. Because, you know, if somebody says, I'm an idiot, or I'm a loser, or I'm a failure, you know, on the negative side, and, you know, even you could use it positively, of course, and say, you know, I'm fantastic, you know, it just, right. I mean, <laughs> which of course I do every day walking around my house, oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still inaccurate. It just gives me a different container to live within, you know? So yeah. So listen to the words that people say and listen to the words specifically that come out of your own mouth and, and really question the validity of how you're defining yourself or another. And, and it's very interesting in how it, does become somewhat of a self-fulfilling prophecy because you kind of force things through this very specific paradigm of I am X. And I I notice myself doing it sometimes, like I'll self-identify as being an anxious individual or something. And then because my subconscious mind is tuned into that, I start seeing things through the lens of, I kind of have to interpret things through this way I've defined myself. And it's in it, in a way it kind of pits you at a disadvantage when you do it um, uh, negatively. And that's why you said, be careful. Yeah. And even there where you said like, I'm an anxious individual, you know, that's an inaccurate statement, right? It's, it's not wrong. Like you're a bad person, but you could get more power by just saying, Oh, I'm, I'm experiencing anxiety. Or there is anxiety. Do you see it creates a little bit of space versus saying like, Conrad, I am an anxious individual. Well, now you've just nailed your foot to the floor. Totally. And then all you're going to do is try and manage anxiety. But like, is it really true? Like if I would ask you right now and you can literally only answer yes or no, is it true that who you are is an anxious individual? Absolutely not. No, it's these like little slices and times, these very specific moments. Or it's situational. Totally, totally. And so, so again, you see that, but that gives you power, right? That gives you a glimpse of freedom to stop delineating yourself in a way that is just, it doesn't serve you. And then you have something to manage, which is also going to impact your relationship. It's going to impact your health. It's going to impact your productivity just by virtue of the fact that you said, oh, I'm an anxious individual. No, you're not. Like with all due respect, that's a crock of shit. You know, and I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying it from a place of love. You're extraordinary, but you've had events in your childhood where you felt scared or you felt like you weren't safe. And, and now you've taken that on as though that's who you are. No, you were in an environment with a, you know, with a, usually a care provider who was maybe volatile or angry or shouting, or perhaps you experienced some sort of abuse, you know, we don't have to get into it, but like, whereas a little boy, you felt scared. And then that sat with you and it's defined you. So that now anything that sort of in any way emulates the same, you know, if it was someone where your dad raised his voice a lot or got angry, well, now if you're around someone who starts to raise their voice, you go straight back into that old energy. It's not who you are. It's just a conditioned pattern for self-preservation. And then part of the way you break the pattern is by ceasing to identify as I am X. That's one way that's very intellectual and that can be helpful, but I think it's better if you do it viscerally, which is to notice the little boy who's just scared. 
Like you, you don't have kids, right? Do you? We do too. No, no. It's a dog. no. she's our kid. It's a, okay. <laughs> That's a big responsibility. I had my own for a while. Um, so yeah. So if you, but if you did, I, I I'm going to assert that both of you would be beautiful, loving parents. And so if you had a son or a daughter who was scared, who was quote unquote, feeling their version of anxiety as a child, you don't say I'm anxious, you know, they're scared, right? It's much more in the, the language of a child. Either of you as a parent would be comforting, nurturing, you would be reassuring, you would pick up the child, you would hold them and you would love them, right? So that's really the way that we mitigate any of these imbalances within us is we bring the experience that our feelings are looking for, right? So if the feeling of anxiety is there, what's it looking for? Well, it's looking for reassurance. It's looking for some sort of stability and security. So you bring that to yourself, which I know seems like a little bit almost bipolar, but like, you know, the soul and the essence of who you are is making space for the humanity that is equally, you know, it's, it's allowed. It's just not a good place to live from. Right. Um, and you mentioned the self-preservation point where, you know, everyone has that primal DNA that makes us abandon ourselves or even lie to ourselves at times. Like for example, the way you show up around certain people or environments, you kind of adapt your behavior to the environment, whether you're a people pleaser or just because you want to be perceived by that person a certain way. So are there ever situations where this is actually a healthy thing to do or it is necessary? Or do you find that it is always better to, to come from a more authentic place because you'll end up having to face that later. I mean, kind of both, you know, if there's ever a time that you could say it's healthy, I would say in childhood. Thank you for tuning in to today's All the Glitters podcast. Until next time, take care. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Check us out and find more sparkle at allthatglitterspodcast.com.